sweeter than he was the day before. What a wonderful to know that personally, to know God and know Him, delight in Him and have that be a sweeter relation than it was the day before. Um, as most of you have probably had changes in plans last, well, since February, if there's anybody in here that hasn't had a major change in your life since February, <laughs> your life's been pretty normal? Good. <laughs> well, the exception to the rule, everybody else has been changed. As a, in the ranching life, you're kind of used to having waking up in the morning and you never know quite what's going to happen, what's going to go wrong, what you're going to have to focus on, which of your plans is going to have to be changed because you've got something that needs immediate attention. But still, it's been a, quite an interesting year with a lot of changes and a lot of uncertainty. And uh, so I'd like to share with you uh, out of First Chronicles. And uh, when, we, when we go in just a devotional here from, from First Chronicles, but when we look at the, what was going on with the people of Israel during this time, we find First Chronicles chapter 28, David exhorting the people to fear God, and he's exhorting his son as he's turning the, the kingdom over to his son Solomon, exhorting them, uh, exhorting the people, and then exhorting Solomon, his son. We find uh, an upheaval. There was a lot of been a lot of uncertainties in the in the time of David, uh, in his kingdom, especially later in his years when he got up in years and he had two of his sons that tried to usurp the throne and different factions of the people trying to figure out what they were going to do with that, where, which side they were going to fall on, the uncertainty involved in that. And we come here and, and David's turning the throne over to his son Solomon, exhorting the people they need to fear God. And our text this morning is in uh, verse 9. Uh, we just, we'll, we'll go ahead and start and read, the, read verses 1 through 10. So in 1 Chronicles 28, 1 through 10, it says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers and with the mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for a footstool of our God and had made, it, made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord, Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be a king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler in the house of Judah the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon my son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I establish his kingdom forever." If he be constant to my commandments and my judgments as this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land 
and leaving it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now take heed, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So he's giving a, a steady guiding principle of God admonishing the people to fear God and to follow after God. And then he changes and he turns to his son very specifically and he gives him some important admonitions. And first of all, he says, Know there in verse 9, Thou Solomon, know thou the God of thy father. Could shorten it. Know my God. There's times of uncertainty around. There's times where things are going chaotic. Have you had opportunity to tell somebody, you need to know my God? And David is setting down some principles here and admonishing his son Solomon. He grew up in the royal palace. He grew up learning. God had chosen him to be the next king, to build the temple. And here David admonishes him, know my God. So as we think about what David knew about God, even from a very early age when we first seen, see David coming on the scenes, what did David know about his God? He protected him. He was mighty. He was faithful. When he first comes on the scene and, and, then he, and he, he's ministering to Saul and then he goes to the battle scene. He goes out to the warriors and he starts saying, hey, what's up with this giant? He's nothing compared to what my God can do. They take him in front of the king. He repeats the same story. He said, my God, 1 Samuel 34 he helped me take down, giant, uh, take down lions, rescue the lambs from the lion and from the bear. This giant won't be anything else, anything different. We can read it in 1 first, first Samuel 17. In, David, in verse 32, he says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with his Philistines. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art just a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He's arguing with him. And David says to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And he arose against me, and I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Can you imagine tackling a bear, <laughs> rescuing a, lion from, uh, a lamb from the mouth of a lion? That'd be quite, quite the story to be able to tell. <laughs> and here David is before the king, with all the mighty men of war that have trained. And the king says, you don't know what you're talking about, kid. 
This, this Goliath, he's been training in war since he was little. And David says, he's defied the armies of God. He's got nothing else. My God helped me deliver the lamb from the mouth and the paws of the bears and the lions. He's going to be nothing different. So he knew his God could be trusted. His, his God was strong. He had seen, then through the course of his life, he had seen the faithfulness of his God subvert the plans of rulers, overturn empires, kill the Goliath, the giant that made the army tremble and fear. And he's talking to his son Solomon. He says, Know my God. So if you're telling somebody in a time of uncertainty, God puts an opportunity in your lap to tell somebody, you need to know my God. That will fix a lot of things in your life. What's the obvious question that's going to come up? How? Right? Have you ever had anybody say how? So what do you tell them? Whoa, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> through his word. Know God through his word. You know, if you have somebody move in next door, how do you get to know them? Go introduce yourself, spend time with them, talk with them. But if you're over there talking with somebody and you can't trust that what they're saying is true, how far is your relationship going to develop with them? Hmm. I go over there, he's going to be telling me a bunch of tall tales. I can't trust him. So if you can't trust what he says, then you're not going to get to know him very well. With God's Word, we spend time in His Word. You know God, you spend time in His Word. You can trust it from page cover to cover. I remember distinctly one time I was flying on an airplane. I sat next to a young, a young gentleman. Started talking to him. He was telling me about a rock, rock concert he was going to. And I started witnessing to him. And he says, well, I don't, he said, you're just, you're just a saint. You know, I'm, I'm a terrible, wicked person. I can't, I can't come to God. And, uh, and I started talking to him about the Bible. I said, well, have you read the Bible? He said, yeah. He said, when I was younger, I read the Bible. And he said, I, I believe most of it, but there's parts that are just, they're just way far out there. And uh, he said, for example, the story of Jonah, that's just way far out there. I can, I can take some parts, but... Other part is, is too far-fetched. So if you can't trust it from cover to cover, you don't have anything to base your faith on. But our God is faithful. If you read His promises, see that He is faithful. You can trust Him from cover to cover. Every word. You can trust in Him. So you need to know my God. And, and God's Word is principle. To knowing Him, you have to look into His Word. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and, not, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct thy paths. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing 
by the word of God. So many, many people spend a lot of time, could spend a lot of time knowing a lot about God's word. In James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You're thinking about the, the Pharisees. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees, and they spent their life was dedicated to serving God. They knew a whole bunch about God. Their life was consumed with making sure everybody followed the rules. But did they know God? Did they have a personal relationship with God? If we look at in Matthew chapter 7, The Lord's Je Lord Jesus' sermon, verse 21. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. People has, had spent their lives effort, dedicated their life in service to God, done amazing, miraculous things, and in the end, having God say, depart from me, I never knew you. It reminds me so much of a lady we went to visit one time, I may have told you this story. In Uruguay, the, this lady called up Pastor Eduardo and said, uh, gave her name, and she said, you know who I am. Um, and Pastor knew her from her reputation around town as being the most powerful witch in town. And she said, I want you to come, I want, to, I want you to come to my house and read, read the Bible to me. So pastor calls up her husband, and he said, yeah, she's here. I'm here with her at the house. She wants you to come read the Bible. So pastor and I went to her house. Uh, he showed us into the back room. She's crippled on the bed. She hadn't been able to get up for six months. She had a bone-degenerating disease. And uh, she said, you know who I was? She said about a year ago she'd left. She realizes what she was doing was wrong. She was serving Satan. She said, I burned all my stuff. The community around her outcast. She was an outcast in the community. They hated her for the thousands and thousands of dollars of stuff that she'd burned. She thought, she said she'd burned it and she went to the biggest church. She thought she'd find the answer there. Well, the biggest church in town is Pentecostalism, but it's mixed with witchcraft as well. The, the pastor will sell you a feather duster to chase away the demons that are in the spiders in your house. Uh, and on and on it goes. And she, so she went to the biggest church and, and uh, she said, said, I was there for a couple months and she said, they're doing the same thing I was doing, just using different words. Doing it in the name of Jesus. Doing all these mighty works and miracles. And she said, the answer wasn't there. She laughed and she said, I want to know the truth. And the truth has to be in God's word. And so we spent a couple hours in her house witnessing to her, reading God's word to her that day. She didn't accept Christ at that point. I'm not sure she passed away shortly afterward. We were never, never able to go revisit her. Uh, only God's word 
and work in her heart. And the hardest of persons. But she had spent her life serving Satan. And she went, she thought she'd go to the biggest church, and they said they were doing the same things. What a sad testimony. When that day will be depart from me, for I never knew you. So it's not enough knowing about God and having all the right answers and being able to have things memorized. It's knowing God, having a personal relationship. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid God's wrath in my place. Being saved by, by Him. You know, it's, and sometimes in our Christian life, it can be easy to get lost in the day-to-day activity of, of going and doing and serving God and, and forget that it's vain or empty to serve Him if we don't really know Him. But the flip side is true as well. <clears throat> it's vain to serve Him if you don't know Him. It's vain to know Him if you don't serve Him. It automatically results in service. Knowing Him truly results in service to Him. But if you don't know Him, service is in vain. Hebrews 11, 6. In the faith chapter, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Without him we can't do anything. But it takes a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to be able to truly serve him. So David's saying to his son, you need to know my God. Know the God of thy father. I thought it was interesting here. I know there was a point in my life, I grew up in a Christian family, and there was a point in my life where I appropriated the truth of God's word for myself. This is what I believed. It wasn't just what my parents believed. This is what I believe, and this is why. David's talking to Solomon. He said, know the God of thy father. Appropriate the truth for yourself. It's not enough that your parents know God or knew God, that they did. They were in church all the time. We talked with a lot of people. Oh, yeah, my grandma or my mother, she's always in church, or she's always doing good things for the poor, or always doing this or that or the other. And that's so much, in in certain cultures, that a lot of people base their future eternal hope on their grandma or their mother and what good things they have done. And he says, know the God of thy father. It's important, the personal knowledge. No one will be saved for what their parents or their grandparents or family members done. Only through Jesus Christ, through a personal knowledge of him. And then David continues here and says, and serve him. Know my God and knowledge, knowing him personally is going to automatically result in service for him. And he gives some specifics on how we, are we, how we are to serve him. 
It says, with a perfect heart. Who has a perfect heart? So what is he talking about here? With a perfect heart. Serve God with a perfect heart. What does that mean? Anybody venture to input? Sincere? In His righteousness? We can't do it in our own, in our own strength. So the service for Him with a perfect heart be sincere without hypocrisy. It would have to do with the motive behind why we are serving. I find it easy thinking about the scribes and the Pharisees and how they thought they were serving God. But were their motives pure? Were they serving with a sincere heart? Or was it obviously for those around them? For those looking on? And they were upholding a standard and living a certain way and making, trying to make sure everybody else lived a certain way, because, but the focus was on them. You know, the word hypocrite comes from an actor. In the, in the Greeks, the hypocrite was an actor. They would go behind the screen and put on different masks and come out and portray themselves as an animal or as a different person. That was the actor was a hypocrite. And here David is admonishing his son Solomon to serve God, but with a sincere heart. Not as a show as we might be tempted to do being in front of the congregation of Israel, putting on an act before the people that he was a righteous and, and godly king and then behind walls acting differently. So he admonished him to serve God with a sincere or perfect heart not being hypocritical. Like we could think of the Pharisees pointing the finger at somebody else when you have three or four more pointed back at yourself, really. <clears throat> so how often are we tempted in our lives to serve God with impure motives? Because worried about what somebody's going to think if I don't do such and such, or if I do do such and such, what somebody's going to think. What matters more, what somebody thinks or what God thinks? What's more important in our lives? Think of Paul when he wrote to the church in Galatia. In the very first part of his, of his letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men... I should not be the servant of Christ. And how easy it is to get caught up with serving God for an unpure motive, with an insincere heart. When we examine our lives and think, why am I really doing this? Is it to please God or to please men? And secondly, He says, serve God with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. In our attitude, 
in our service. Say, like, oh, I gotta go to church again. Got it. Time for this. And sometimes you get worn out and you feel, ah. Oh. But again, in our attitude, if our if we have the right motives for serving him, our attitude tends to follow, right? The willing mind or cheerful attitude in serving Christ. With, do we find our pleasure? Do we enjoy serving Him like the song we sang? Is that, we find our joy and pleasure in knowing more of Him every day and in so doing, obeying Him and serving Him with the right kind of attitude, with the right motives, and find our joy, our passion and our joy in serving Him. I've been reading... Uh, um, can't think of the author's name now. One of the Puritan, uh, Richard Baxter, one of the Puritan preachers, is one of the, his books he's most famous for, The Saints' Eternal's Rest. And uh, very, very interesting and very inspiring read. But uh, one comment he said is Every soul that hath the title to eternal rest place, will place his chief happiness in God. Every soul that hath title to eternal rest doth place his chief happiness in God. I thought, in my day-to-day life, is that my chief happiness? That's where I wake up in the morning and have to think, what is the purpose of me being here today? And everything I do plays in to that purpose. We're so easily distracted with the myriads of things that go on about us. But being able to focus and refocus and refocus where our chief happiness is in God and living from day to day with that in mind stems out of a pure heart or sincere motives and a willing mind to serve our God and focusing Him. I think we grow as we focus more and more and more upon Him. He becomes our, our joy and becomes even more joyful and becomes even more and more and more consumed with God and who He is and what He has done for us. <clears throat> and then He gives some motivation here at the end of the verse. He says, For the Lord searches all hearts. Now, who's excluded from that? <laughs> the Lord searches all hearts. And it gets even better, Thank you, in case you think you're excluded. He said, And understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. Now, I can have a pretty big imagination. My kids definitely have big imaginations. And he says, God understands it all. He knows it all. Psalm 139. <clears throat> Lord, thou, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downseating and my uprising. Thou understandest of my thought afar off. He knows our thoughts afar off. He knows our imaginations of our thoughts. He knows us through and through as our Creator. It's like if you build a building, you know how it's built. 
You know where the strong points are. You know where the weak parts are. If you build, make a cake, you usually know what's in there, right? It's got a purpose. God made us, and He has a purpose for us. He knows how we're made. He understands us, even in our imaginations. So we're not going to fool Him in why we're doing something and our motives for our service. We're not going to fool Him in whether we really know Him as our Savior or not. We're not going to fool Him. We might fool somebody else by our appearance that we're serving Him joyfully. We're not going to fool God. And the consequences are dire here. He says, if thou seek Him, we have the last of the verses, the two-part promise. It says, if thou seek Him, He will be found of thee. The promise of God. If you seek Him, He will be found of you. John, uh, James 4 eight. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Jeremiah 29.13 And ye shall seek Me and find Me, when ye shall search with, for Me with all your heart. Luke 11.9 And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Or over in Isaiah 55. Six and seven. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon if you seek him, he's going to be found and abundantly pardoned. Isn't that great? But the, the opposite is true as well. As David's talking to Solomon here, he says, but, but if you forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. For eternity you forsake God. If you choose not to seek God, He will be cast off. You will be cast off for eternity. Somebody once said, God never casts off any till they have first cast Him away. God never casts off anybody until they have first cast Him away. So as David's admonishing his son that we can have application to our lives as well. We have opportunity to tell people, know my God. How? Through His Word. His Word that can be trusted from page to page, uh, cover to cover. Every promise is sure. In this time of uncertainty, people looking for something to grab hold of. Know my God is the answer. In Him, you'll find peace. In Him, security. In Him, Plans that will never change. Your eternal hope is, will be sure. It will never change. His plans are marching forward. He does in, according to His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say, what doest thou? His plans are marching right along. So as we have opportunity among our family, friends, neighbors, people God places in our life to say, you need to know my God. He can be trusted. And serve Him. Not for somebody else. Not for my sake. Don't, don't want anybody serving God because what I say. No, I need to go back to the Bible and serve God. To please God, not man. 
with a perfect heart, willing mind. For the Lord searches. You're not going to hide from God in His searching eye that knows our imaginations, knows our thoughts from afar off. If you seek Him, He's going to be found. That's a promise of God. But if you forsake Him, you're sealing your eternal fate for eternal separation from God. And we have that great opportunity to encourage one another, but also to share in this time of uncertainty that we're facing. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the surety of your word. We thank you for the preciousness of it. We thank you for the sweetness we can enjoy in your presence as we read and as you guide us into understanding, stretch us and grow us in our faith. Thank you for the time we can be together and fellowshipping and hearing from one another and being sharpened and strengthened for the week's activities as we go out, that you would allow each one to be a light, sharing the gospel in the places you have put them this week, strengthened by your word. Thank you so much for this time we can be together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.